So Luke chapter 15, we're going to finish the chapter this morning. A few weeks back, we started the chapter. Uh, there's three parables in this chapter. Okay, Do you guys remember what the first two parables were about? If you guys were here, if you weren't here, obviously I'm not. The sheep and the coin. There you go. Did you just read it or do you remember? Hey, either way, that's good. Because if you can't remember, you can always look and read. Uh, so a couple weeks ago, we talked about the parable of the lost sheep and then the parable of the lost coin. Jesus really getting at that there is this, this idea, not an idea, but the fact that we as people are considered lost people, right? Or the Bible also describes us as in another state, not just being lost, but also dead, right? There's those two things that happen because of sin. We are separated from God, right? Because God is holy, just, and perfect. And anything other than that cannot be in his presence, correct? So when Adam ate of the fruit, what happened? Huh? He sinned. Is that what he said? He sinned, and part of his sin brought about death. And part of that death means that there is this separation, right? And when there's a separation, oftentimes that thing gets lost. And so Jesus gives us this analogy or parable or story with these heavenly biblical meanings behind them, right? And so God knows our state, knows where we are. He's not the one who's confused and lost. It's, it's us, right? And it's not so much a matter of like, I have no idea where I'm going. No, it's something where we, what we chose to do, right? That we consciously decided to reject God and to be lost at the same time, to be dead, right? For the wages of sin is what? Death, right? So the thing that you have earned by sinning is what? Death, right? So if you get a job, you get paid what you are due. You know, if you go to get a job at McDonald's, your wages are what? Like an hour? Is it really that low? I think so. That's amazing. $7 an hour. Okay, great. So you work a full shift and you get like $3 at the end of the day after taxes and a, and a half a cheeseburger, right? So that's what you've earned. That's the wages, right? In the same sense, when we have, when we have sinned, right, when we've fallen short of the glory of God, correct? When we've fallen short of the glory of God, we have earned death, right? We've talked about this a lot, and I, I don't want to get into apologetics, but you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound loving. Like, why would God, why would he allow us to be separated? Why does he want us to die? Why does, well, that's, it's not like God, it's not like Adam sinned, and God was like, oh, snap, what do I do now? I've got to come up with some type of rule. I've got to, okay, there's got to be some type of punishment. Like, for me and, and, and my wife, when our kids do something, we typically have a standard of, of consequences for our kids. Right? But sometimes there's new things that happen, and we've got to think of something. Okay, well, what's, what's the punishment now? You know, what, what, what's right? Does he go stay in the corner? Does he get a spanking? Does he lose a privilege? Does he, what, I don't know. God's not that way, okay? So when Adam sinned, it wasn't like a, oh, no, I've got to come up with a consequence. No, it's, it's like nature, right? It's like, it's like gravity. You can't help, like if you jump off a building, you can't help but fall, right? Because that's the nature of gravity, in the same sense with the nature of God, because he's holy, the rightful thing that would happen is to be separated from him, is to bring about death, okay? So it's, it's what naturally was to happen because of who he was and what had transpired. So now that we're separated from God and we're dead, God, because he loves us, right? Because he loves us, what does he want to do? He wants us to be found and to not be dead, which means to what? Be alive, correct? 
And he's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can find somebody who's lost and bring them back. And he's the only one that can make a dead man alive. Because that's the spirit of God and the power of God and the love of God. Right? And so as we look through all of this and we read the parables, Jesus is getting at this point of the gospel, of the goodness of Jesus Christ and the love that he has for people. And as we're going to read this parable, we're going to see it's not just good people or worthy people, because if we know anything about God and the word, we know that there are no good people and there are no worthy people, right? But in our society, in our culture, we kind of rate people differently, that, that some are better than others, whether that be because, you know, some are rich and some are poor. But God's like, no, I, that doesn't matter. I care about every single person. The Bible says he's not a respecter of persons, meaning it doesn't matter who you are. He loves us all the same, regardless of your height, your weight, your background, your ethnicity, how much money you have or don't have, the skills and talents you have, how many fingers you have or don't have. Like, God doesn't care. I want to say he doesn't care. He cares about you, but that doesn't matter, right? He loves us all equally and the same. And the fact that he can do that is just amazing to begin with, right? The fact that, you know, like, if, if you, anybody come from a large family? Chloe, you got, like, five siblings? Four siblings? Anybody have more than four siblings? How many? Five? Wow. Anybody have more than five siblings? You have five or four, Maya? Four? What'd you say? Five? Six? Anybody have more than six? I don't trust you, man. I don't know. All right. All right. I, have, I have nine. I'm just kidding. Actually, no, I really do have nine, but it's a long story. Anyways, I guess what I'm getting at is like, you know, sometimes, so I grew up, my cousins they had a really large family. They had 12 kids, 12 kids in that family. And I'm just thinking, because my wife and I have two kids, I can only give so much attention to just only my two kids. I can only imagine what it's like giving, you know, attention to 12 different kids, right? And you might think and feel, if you're in a big family, that like, man, I, I just, I don't get as much attention or the things that I need because, you know, my mom and dad, they're only one person. You know, they can only do so much. But God's not that way. And there's now 8 billion people in this world. And if all of us came to him at one time, it's not like, you know, Evan Almighty, where, I don't know if you've seen that movie, where it's like he can't, can't comprehend and can't handle the workload and all these people coming to him. God has that capability, right? And he intentionally loves each and every one of us and intently listens to each and every one of us, which is a beautiful thing. So, Chapter 15, let's start. In verse 11, we're getting into the last parable here. And really, well, we're not wrapping it up, but Jesus is continuing this thought as he was invited in chapter 14 into the house of the rulers of the Pharisees. You guys remember that. They tried to set him up, trying to cause him to, I don't know, sin or make him look like a fool. Obviously, Jesus knew what was happening. And because he's righteous and he's good, he's going to do what's right and good. And by doing so, he makes them, not inadvertently, but almost purposefully, makes them look stupid, right? Because they can't come up with an answer to his questions. Because they know, like any great politician, they don't want to give an exact answer. They just want to beat around the bush so that they don't, you know, ruin. By giving one answer, they would ruin one side of the people. If they give another answer, then they would upset the other side of the people. And so they keep silent. In verse 6, it says they could not answer him regarding these things. 
And that's when Jesus goes into teacher-preacher mode. And he just goes on this long, long, long teaching. He talks about taking up our, our lowly place. He talks about the great supper, the marriage, um, you know, what we have to do to follow Christ and we have to give up all and leave all to follow him. And then he gets into these parables in chapter 15, again, about being lost and dead. And here in verse 11, Jesus continues these, this thought with this last parable. He says, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he, just, so he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, or pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion. He ran, and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in, speaking of the brother. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And so one of the things that I, we really need to, to get at in a moment is kind of the culture of this time. Because as we read it, it may not have the same effect unless we understand the culture. And I'll get to that in a minute. But again, here you see over and over again that the father is mentioning about this younger son. Because there's three characters, right? There's the father. There's the younger son. And there's the older son. And we see that the, that the main part of the story is about the younger son who takes his money, his, his you know, I don't know what you call it. Uh, inheritance. Yeah, inheritance, thank you. And goes off and basically lives his life, right, the way that he wants to live it, right? However you want to describe it, you know, the brother assumes or, or knows that, you know, uh, that he used it on harlots, um, the Bible describes it in this passage as prodigal living or, you know, riotous or reckless living, 
basically doing anything and whatever he wants to a point that it brings him so low that not only does he become broke, but everything that he once knew and had is gone. Everyone's abandoned him, right? And so we've got these three characters. But the father here at the end of it twice has said that he was dead, and we talked about this, but now is alive, right? And he once was lost, but now he is found. And so Jesus will be talking about things that once were lost and now are found, just like he talks about the lost sheep, right? There was 100 sheep, one is lost, the 99 are good, so he leaves the 99 to go find the one that's lost, right? The same with the woman with her dowry, with the coin. She loses her coin, and she looks everywhere to find it. And here we have the story of a lost son. There was a carpenter who was laying carpet. No, it wasn't a carpenter. It was a carpet layer. It was a carpet layer who had just finished installing carpet for a lady. Anybody ever installed carpet before? It's the worst. So he's installing carpet for a lady, and he stepped out to smoke, only to realize he lost his cigarettes. In the middle of the room, under the carpet, was a bump, and so he says, no sense pulling up the entire floor for one pack of cigarettes, he said to himself. So he proceeded to get out his hammer, and he flattened the hump. And as he was cleaning up, the lady came in, and she said, here, handing him the pack of cigarettes, I found them in the hallway. Now, she said, if I could only find my parakeet... (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's funny come on people that was funny the lump was the parakeet that is funny (laughs) huh I don't know it's a joke he was laying carpet I don't know anyways who has a rat All right, so it says a certain man had two sons, right? A certain man had two sons. So this is where we get the the premise, the beginning of our story, the three characters introduced at once. Again, this was a a common, you know, this is common that there would be a father and two sons, obviously. Uh, But what was uncommon as we continue to read this is that the younger requests his inheritance before his father dies. And this is where we need to understand it culturally, right, that this wasn't something that was common, and it was actually really frowned upon, right? And it was, it was really, I don't know how to put it, like it was, it was horrendous to treat a father that way, right? Basically, the son saying, Dad, instead of having you, I would rather have the things that you have, the things that you're going to give me, like your will, right? I'd rather have the possessions than have you, right? I think we understand now today that would be pretty bad, But even then, it was worse because fathers were were really respected in this time. Whereas today, not so much, right? We see fathers as just like the guy that hangs around, a deadbeat, this, that. We have somewhat of a respect, but not in the sense that they had then. So as Jesus is telling this, this story, his hearers, his listeners, are probably like completely upset and angry at this young man, at this son, right? Because this was something that went completely against their culture. And so when they hear this, you got to understand that they're probably insanely upset and mad. And so according to the Jewish law, what we see is that the firstborn, right, the older one, is typically the one that would receive a double portion of the inheritance. So if there's two kids, he would receive two-thirds of the inheritance, while the younger one would receive one-third, because two-thirds is double of one-third. We see this in Deuteronomy. It's part of the Jewish law. 
And so here the father is depicted as a wealthy farmer. He has servants. He has land, right? His sons are enjoying, I guess, what you call this privilege that they have because of their father, the wealth that he has. But the youngest here is not satisfied, right? He's not satisfied just being a part of his father and a part of the family and the things that he already has, but he wants more at the expense of his father, right? At the expense of his father. So this father is to be highly esteemed, honored, but here he's not by the younger son. Again, it's like the younger son saying, again, I would rather have money or your money, and I wish you were dead. Right? I wish you were dead so I could have the inheritance. Right? The sooner that you can die, the sooner that I can have the inheritance. But here, he doesn't even have to die. He just takes what he wants. And so the father gives him what he asked for. He gives him the inheritance, right? And so I think Jesus is, is painting a picture of this purposefully, right? He wants us to really despise this younger son, right? To be like really completely against him, right? Like if you overheard your friend or your sibling say to your father, I wish you were dead so I could have all your money, what would you think about that person? <laughs> Sounds like Lion King. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right? So, like, you, I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to get you upset at someone, a, a fake person, okay? Let's, let's, this younger son. You don't like him because of the way he's treating his father, right? And, and what you will come to understand is this father is, is awesome, right? He's always there. He's, he's loving. He's kind, you know, he's, he's the, the type of father that is a good father. And so, unlike these two parables that we saw to begin with, with the lost sheep and the lost coin, where we're, you know, we're rooting for the shepherd to find the sheep, we're rooting for the woman to find her coin, her, her dowry, here we're really rooting against the younger son. You know, we kind of are like, I kind of hope that he fails, you know, I kind of hope that when he goes out on his own, because not only is he going to take the money from his dad, but he's going to completely abandon them and just go and do it. Like, he wants to get as far away as possible. And what that sounds like to me is, is part of immaturity, right? A, a part of a lack of respect, a part of, of pride in himself. And we see this even now today with, with kids your age or a little bit older, you know, where they have a lack of respect for their parents. And like, I just want to get as far away as possible. Right? And so he completely abandons his family. So we're rooting against him. Okay? So in verse 13, it says, Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, so he got all his things. Right? And he journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Now, prodigal living, we don't know, we don't really use that terminology in our everyday language, but it means to be riotous. It means to be wasteful. Right? It means like, okay, I've got, these, I've gotten a certain amount of money that I have. I've got these bills that need to be paid. But rather than paying my bills, I would rather go, you know, spend it on food. Like, not food. What's, what's something that's... Video games. video games. There we go, right? Do you need video games? Yes. No. <laughs> no. Right? Now, with him, with him, it goes to, to a greater extent. He's not wasting it on video games. He's wasting it on prostitutes. I don't know if it's drugs, alcohol... It's just wasteful, riotous living, right? We see people living like that now, today, and we wonder how people get into a certain state, and it's because they, they, they move in this type of direction, right? And so he squanders all his money, 
right? It says that he wasted his money. Again, it's a picture of a guy who just has, you know, a wad of cash and just throws it up in the air, right? To me and you, I'd be like, no, I'm keeping it in my pocket secure. I'm going to use it wisely. I've got a wife. I've got kids. I've got bills. I need to be, to be wise in how I invest this. For him, no, because what did he want to do? He wanted to fulfill the lusts of what? The flesh, right? The flesh. Like, I, I've got this money now. Now I'm going to go waste it. You guys know that, like, a lot of professional ath- athletes go broke within a certain amount of years, even though they make millions of dollars. Now, this isn't, like, you know, universal that every single professional athlete goes broke, but it's a good amount of them. Whereas, like, when, when they come into, like, a certain type of league, whether it's basketball, football, baseball, whatever it is, they, they have to take, like, mandatory classes in how to spend their money. Because all of a sudden, they go from having a little bit of money to millions. And they start spending it here and there and just wasting it on random things to the point where they just, they look at their bank account and they've got nothing, right? And then, then they're, they're more poor than we are, right? And so a wasteful type of living is how this young son is living. In verse 14, it says, when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land and he began to be in want. So bad timing, right? Not only does he waste all his money, like it's not even uses it, invests it wisely, but first he wastes it. Not only does he waste it, but he then runs out of money. And not only does he then run out of money, but it's at a time where there's a famine in the land, right? Very bad time to run out of money. So, so now there's no food, and if there's no food, well, then the economy's shot, right? Which means that there's probably no, nowhere to find a job, there's nowhere to make money. Like, he's just completely lost and completely abandoned. Now, this is the picture that we're getting here. And now, whose fault is it? Is it the father's? Is it the older brother? It's the son's, the younger son, right? It's his fault completely. And we have to understand that, too, that this is the direction that he chose, in the same sense, the biblical truth for us is that this is a picture of us, right? Before coming to Christ, we are this picture of the young son. That we wanted nothing to do with God, even though he was a great and good father and, and continues to be a great and good father. Right? It says that Christ died for us while we were yet still sinners. He considers us, considers us and calls us ungodly, right? That when we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. Right? You've got you to understand that when Jesus was good towards us, when he died on the cross for us, when he came to redeem us, when he came to find us, we were not in a good state. We were dead. We were ungodly. We were enemies of God. Right? Just the same picture that we see of this young son here. And so much so to the extent that we were also not only lost, but we had nothing. Right? We, we couldn't make ourselves better. We couldn't find the way out. We, we couldn't make ourselves alive. We couldn't earn anything. Even if we tried, we couldn't earn anything. And so here, this severe famine comes in the land. It says that he begins to be in want in verse 14. And so he went and he joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed pigs or swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So it probably took a few years for this to happen, but eventually it happened. And so again, not only is he broke, but now there's a famine. And not only, not only does he waste it and lose it all, and a famine comes, but now, and again, I'm trying to p- paint the picture here culturally, it becomes so bad that he has to go feed pigs. 
Now, to you and I, we'd be like, okay, that's, that's pretty gross too. But remember, he's Jewish, right? This was, a, a pig was, 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 to be und, was undefiled. It's something that you wouldn't touch. It was the worst of the worst situations, right? And it's so bad that he's like, I, there's something that is, is, uh, is unclean to me, these pigs. I wish, it's so bad, he's like, I wish I could eat even their food, Right? The picture that Jesus is painting here is, is something that's very bleak. And so here, the, the food is almost non-existent. He wishes he could eat of the pig's food. And again, for a Jewish man, there could be nothing lower than this. Jesus paints the picture of this man at being the lowest of lows. It could not get any worse. And in a sense, it's kind of good, right? Why is that good? Yeah, exactly, because the only way you can go now is up, right? It can't get any worse. It has just gotten to the worst that it could be. And so here's this son who's had this privileged life because of the father, takes advantage of it, and loses everything, is now desperate and in need and alone, right? He's never had this feeling of, of being in need before, right? But now he's literally starving to death, so much so that he would eat the food of the pigs. And so here, if you were a listener in this time, if they were in the house listening to Jesus share this parable, as a Jew, you'd be like, okay, great. Let's end the story here. This is a perfect ending because he gets what he deserves, right? The younger son, I mean, that's what he chose, right? He wanted to abandon his father. He wanted his inheritance before his father died. He completely disrespected and dishonored his father and did exactly what he wanted to do, this is what he deserves. Let's end the story here. But I'm so thankful that's not where Jesus ends it, because he could have. He could have said, you know, this is the moral of the story. Honor your parents, right? Respect them. Love them. You could say, well, this is why you shouldn't be greedy, right? This is why you should be wise with your money, right? This is why you don't go out and, and be reckless. Those are all good and moral points, right? But that's not what Jesus wants us to learn in this story, right? He wants us to know the goodness and the love of the Father. And as we understand and know the goodness of the love of the Father, as, as we abide in it, those good moral points, they come naturally, right? They will come naturally. And so verse 17, it says, Jesus goes on, he says, but when he came to himself, I love that, right? Because I see this with kids your age, a little bit older, they leave their parents' house they, you know, they grow up in the church, they go do what they want to do, and they live such a sinful and reckless life, and it's, it's sad. A high majority of kids who grow up in the church will go and abandon their faith, they'll abandon the church, abandon what they've, they've been taught and grown up in, and they, they live their life how they want to live it. It's almost like they have this itch, and I think we, we all have it sometimes because of the, the lust of our flesh. We have this itch to just do what we want to do. I want to go test things out. I want to go try it. And what ends up happening 100% of the time is that when they go to live the life that they want to live, they are completely miserable. It's, it's, they're broken down. It's disgusting. And hopefully, and there's been a majority of times where those people, they will get to a point where they are so broken because of their sin, because of the consequences of it, right? We have to understand that there's consequences of sin, not just separation and death from God. Right? But there's consequences here on earth for sin. Correct? You guys know that. 
There's consequences, whether it's, it's from nature, whether it's from your parents, or whether it's from the, you know, the laws that we have in this land. There's consequences for your sin, and you will have to pay for them. And so kids will have to pay for them. And they'll get so low, and it's so good for them to get so low, to be so broken, just like David, right? When David was so broken over his sin that he, all he could do was cry out to the Lord. And what's so amazing about our God is he doesn't turn his back on us. He doesn't roll his eyes. He doesn't say, oh, I knew you would do this. Right? He doesn't say, well, no, you're not worthy of it now. You just went and lived it up and, you know, you didn't want me when everything was going good. Now you want me when it's bad. That's not how God is. And we're going to see the picture and the love of God here through this father. But we see here in verse 17 a really interesting statement. It says he came to himself. You ever been so low that finally, like, things just clear up? That you're like, oh, like, now I, I see the extent of my sin. Now I get it. Everything's just completely in shambles and broken. Now I get it. And it's almost he came to himself in the sense, like, I, I can only turn to God now. He's the only one that can help me. He realizes the reality of his situation, that he's disgraced his father, that he's treated him horribly, right? That his actions have, have put him in this circumstance, and he sees himself as not entitled to anything anymore. Like, he's so broken, there's no more pride, right? He was so prideful that he wanted his inheritance. He went and lived his life the way he wanted to live it. But now because he's so broken, he realizes, if I go back to my father's house, I won't even be welcomed back as a son. I wish I would just be welcomed back even just as a servant. That's how low this, this young man got. And it's such a good picture. It's such a good example to be. Because we see the example of Isaiah, we see the example of, of Paul, where they consider themselves the least of the least, the chief of sinners. I'm the worst of the worst. That's exactly where God wants us. Why? Because that's where we can receive grace. Because God says he despises the, the, the proud, the, the prideful, right? Because the prideful think they don't need a good father. They, they don't need a savior, that they don't need God. But for those who have been broken and they've fallen on their butt and they, they've face-planted, for those of us that have done that and have been there, and we know that all we can do is cry out to God and he's the only one who can pick us up and comfort us and save us, that's a beautiful, humbling place to be. And so he says to himself, as he came to himself in verse 17, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare and I perish with hunger? He's like, let me look at the, like, the least of the people in my father's house, even they have enough and more than enough for what they need. And he's like, that wasn't even my position. My position was as a son. What did I give up? What was I thinking? And here I am now with absolutely nothing. So he says to himself in verse 18, I will rise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against you, against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So here he, he composes an apology, a, re, a repentance, a statement to say to his father. It's like, this is what I'm going to say to my dad when I see him. And there's four important things that we see in this apology. The first one is that he confesses his, his sin against God, right? Because this is exactly what he says in verse 18. He says, I have sinned against heaven. That's a Jewish reference to I've sinned against God. The second thing that he does, he confesses his sin against his father. So not only is he sinned against God, which is the most important thing and the main thing,
but sometimes we also sin against one another. And here he says, I sin against my father. The third thing is that he renounces his legal claim to his sonship. He's no longer a son, but a servant. Then he says, and the fourth thing is that he has to be hired as a servant when he gets back. And so we see a lot of humility in this apology, a, a, a realization of the impact of his sin and where he is in comparison to who his father is. Now, the beautiful thing is, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, I quote this all the time, right? You guys know what it is? Because it's important we understand this verse. If we confess our sins, wake up. If we confess our sins, continue. What is it? Jacoby knows it, but he's sleeping. Oh, you're not sleeping? You're, you're taking notes. Wow, I just called him out, and he's actually taking notes. If you confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Thank you. And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do I need to read that again? Right? First John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all our unrighteousness. You need to understand that. That it, he is always faithful to forgive us of our sins. But we must come to him and confess those sins. Right? It's, it's more than, than feeling sorry. A repentance is, is, is a changing of our minds. That I'm no longer going to do this, but I'm going to trust in you, Jesus, that you can, you can change me, that you can, you can save me, that you can make me alive again and cleanse me. And so in verse 20, it says, And he arose and he came to his father, and when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Have you guys ever heard of that worship song? Um, I don't know the name of the song, but the lyrics go, um, and he ran to me, he took me in his arms, held my head to his chest, and said, my son's come home again. Have you heard that song? It is a beautiful song, right? And that's, that's exactly what's happening here. I think that song's after this. But um, understand this, in verse 20, I know you guys are so tired and half of you are asleep, but for those of you that are awake, understand this, because verse 20 is key. This shows the love that God has for us. The love the father has for this son, right? Now, if this was any earthly father, right, I would be out there and I would spank the heck out of my kid. Well, depending on how old he is, right? I would do, I'd probably punch him if he was older. Like, what the heck were you thinking? You completely dishonored. And not only that, I, have, I had no idea where you were, right? I couldn't get a hold of you. I'm sure the father is worried, Right? He's scared. Like, I don't know what's happened to him. And what you got to understand is that the father's not up on the house, on the roof, fixing, you know, the shingles and the tiles, and he happens to see the son, you know, in a far-off distance coming back. What's implied here is that the father is constantly looking for his son to come back. That every morning, every night, he's looking to see if his son has come home. And here on this one day, it finally happens. And before his son can even say a word, what does the father do? He loves him, hugs him, right? He says he falls into his neck, meaning he hugs him, he kisses him. He just completely embraces him and loves him. Can you imagine the feeling that the son had at that moment? He probably just completely bursts into tears. That really, dad, like I I don't deserve this at all and this is what you're showing me? Do you understand the, the love and the grace that is being showed to this young man? It's the same love, grace, compassion, and mercy that God shows to us as sinners. That before 
we even have to get a word out that God loves us and wants to forgive us. That doesn't mean that we don't confess, but it, it shows you the, the picture and the love that Christ has for us as people, right? The, the heart that the Father has here is one of love. The Son didn't have to do any good work, any good work. He didn't have to clean, because remember, what has he been doing? He's been feeding the pigs. Do you think he looks good and smells good? Absolutely not. And he probably just journeyed from a far away place, right? So it's not like he walked there. And so here we have this picture of this absolutely gross, disgusting, not just on the outside, right, but also on the inside. And here the father comes and immediately loves him. Doesn't say, no, go take a shower first and then I'll hug you. No, go, go get right first. No, go serve me for, for seven years first and then I'll love you. No, he loves him because of who he is. God loves us irregardless, right? Then that doesn't diminish sin and, and the impact of it, okay? You guys need to understand that. But God loves us so much that he wants to free us and save us from our sin. And so he runs up and he grabs him, hugs him, kisses him. And the son says here, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Remember, he's rehearsed this. He knows exactly what to say. And it's not like, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't mean anything. This is exactly, he wanted to be intentional, he says, and no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. Bring the best robe. Who do you think has the best robe? Yeah, but in this, in this uh, story, the father. So he says, bring him my robe. Give it to him. And he puts a ring on his finger. Well, what's this ring? Well, it's, it's the signet that, that's basically signifying reinstating him into the family, right? The, the signet ring of the family, that you are not a hired servant, but you are my son. That immediately he's welcomed back into the family, right? What a beautiful, again, what a beautiful picture. First John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God that God is a good and perfect father and how amazing it is that we are even worthy to be called children of God. But you must be born again and adopted into this family, as Ephesians chapter 1 says, to be even considered a child of God because there is this misunderstanding that every single person that has ever lived and does live is a child of God. And that's not what the scripture teaches. Now, every single person that has ever lived and will live is loved by God, Right? that God does, wishes that none should perish, that every single person that has ever lived is made in the image of God, right? But to have, but to have the, the, the title and the ability to say that I am a child of God is not for everyone to say. It's only for those who have been welcomed into the family and adopted in the family. And that happens by being born again. That happens by getting to a state like the young son and, and coming to yourself and realizing I am a sinner, I have transgressed against a perfect and holy God, a good father who has done everything for me. I have gone my own way. I am lost and I am dead. And the only one that can save me is God. And God immediately, it's not like, you know, he, he's immediately there for us. And he welcomes us. He cleanses us. If we confess our sins, right, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness and to welcome us in as sons. It's a beautiful, wonderful thing. And so again, the story could have ended here, right? We could have been like, great, let's end on this happy moment. He's welcomed 
him back, right? Uh, but it doesn't end here. Actually, I got ahead of myself. Verse uh, 22. The father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. Basically, let's have a party, right? This is awesome. Let's cook some food and let's have some fun. He says, for this, my, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. They were happy. They were joyful, right? This is a, a good thing. We, again, we could have ended right here, but this isn't where it ends. It says now, because remember, what did verse 11 say? A certain man had how many sons? Two, right? Now, the main story is about the younger son, but there's also an importance to the older son that we see here. And so this is where he comes into play. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. You know, he's doing what he's doing. Here's it. What's going on? Called one of the servants, asked what this meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But the brother was angry and would not go in. Why is he angry? Yeah, he'd be like, that's not fair. Right? My kids always say that. That's not fair. I'm like, dude, life is not fair. Get over it. Like, you're going to have to learn life is not fair. Right? But, but this isn't even about being unf- what's fair or unfair. Right? So remember, Jesus, he, he painted this picture for us to hate this, this younger son. Right? And, and to deserve what he got. Right? Do you guys remember that? That's how we, we painted the picture. That's how Jesus painted the picture. And then all of a sudden, the father comes and he loves him. And, and for some of us, we could think, that, that, that's such a twist. That doesn't make sense. And again, it's the picture of God's love for us that I have to understand that I am the same as this young son, that I am so unworthy of it. But here's this older son who's been in the presence of his father and has you know, been able to, to utilize and use all the inheritance and the things of his father in his presence as a family. And here, this, it's not like this bitterness arose out of nowhere, right? It's something that's been happening for a while. And it just culminated at the event of his brother coming home. And he says, that's not fair. He's angry. How dare you make, you know, have this party for him when I've been faithful to you all these years that he's gone off and done his own thing? That's not fair. And I think in a sense, he, he may be right, but you got to understand that the brother's looking at it wrong. Like, why would the older brother be jealous of the younger brother leaving his father, leaving what is good, and going doing what he wants and, and getting so low that being completely abandoned and completely starving, going so low that he's feeding pigs? And it's like, why, why, you're thinking, why was the older brother even jealous of this? Right? But I think sometimes we can become that way. Right? We can become that way when when we feel like, you know, I'm, I'm just the goody-two-shoe type of guy. I always do the right things. You know, I'm the one that's always going to church, and here, my friend, he's barely ever at church, or I'm the one that's always serving. If we ever come with that attitude, we got to understand that we don't know how good it is and how good God is. Because it's not, it, we don't do things out of duty, guys. We don't, I'm, I'm not, I don't abstain from bad things to be good, right? Or don't do it out of duty, right? I don't come to church because it's, it's what I should, should do, right? I don't serve because, 
that's what I've been told to do. Why do I do, why do we do all these things? Because we've experienced the love and the grace of God in abiding in his presence, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. So why would I, why would I be jealous of someone who hasn't been in that position, right? Why would I be jealous of someone who doesn't have to go to church? Why would I be jealous of someone who doesn't have to serve? Why would I be jealous of someone who gets to go live the life that they want to live, and it's a reckless and prodigal living life? You may think in your flesh that, man, I wish I could do that. Because I remember at your age, there was one time, it wasn't one time, but there was a time, I specifically remember in my room, I was like, man, all my friends are going and doing these, in my mind at the moment, my immature mind, I thought, all these fun, crazy things. And here I am at home, you know, reading a book, doing this, doing that. It's not like you can't go out and like have fun in a good sense, right? But it was in a sinful sense that I was jealous of them. I'm like, here they are and they get to go do that. And I read, I read a verse, I think it was in Proverbs that night, and it said, uh, my son, don't let sinners entice you. And it, there was more to it, but it just, it was impactful to me in that moment because I'm like, why am I, why am I jealous of them? I have it so good. I'm in the presence of God. You know, like I, I don't need, for me to think that to go outside of that, to find something better is foolish and immature. And, and people will try to do that. I told you, as kids grow up, they try to do that. And they will find that it's not greener on the other side. Right? It's worse. And they will become so broken that the only thing they can do is come back to God. And now that's a good thing. But again, some don't. Some don't because their decision is, is to walk away. And so he becomes angry. He says, he would not go in in verse 28. His father came out and he pleaded with him. I'm closing. I'm sorry, guys. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. And it was, it was almost like there was this self-righteousness within the older brother. Right? Like, this is what I deserve. I've earned this. And what we've got to understand is that we don't deserve and earn anything. Right? This older brother, even though he hasn't decided to do these foolish things, needs just as much grace and love from the father as the younger brother. But he also needs to understand it. And sometimes it's harder to understand when you've grown up so close to the faith, when you've grown up so close to the church, that it just becomes a monotonous, like, duty right? That, that there is no intimacy with our God, that there's no experience of God's grace like the younger brother had. And you don't have to live a reckless life to experience God's grace. You just have to understand how bad of a sinner you are. And it has nothing to do with your actions. It's all about your heart. Because you will realize quickly that all of us have wicked, wicked hearts. And when you realize that in comparison to the goodness of God, man, the grace that you experience is just like the grace that this young son experiences with the father. But the older brother hasn't fully understood that. And he needs to be reminded by the father that he's always been with him and that everything that he has is his. And he says in verse 32, we'll close here. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Again, that is what Christ does for us. He makes us alive again. 
And I would encourage you, if you go back to Luke chapter 10, if you look at the story of Mary and Martha, Mara, Martha and Mary, right? If you go back to that story of the two sisters, right? There's one who's, you know, Jesus comes to the house and one sister's, you know, a busybody. I got to get it clean, right? Like it needs to be perfect for my Lord, right? I need to clean and do the dishes. I need to do this. I need to do that. I need to get the hot cocoa ready. I need to get the tea, whatever it is. And then you've, you've got the other sister who's like, man, I bet, you, I bet you Jesus doesn't care anything about, you know, that cobweb in the corner. I just want to be with him. And so she sits at his feet and she worships him. And, and, this, and the sister who's doing all the work, being the busybody, is like, Jesus, aren't you going to tell my sister to get up and help me? And Jesus is like, no, she's chosen the better thing, to, to be with me. And so I think, you know, there's a very, very similar, there's a similarity between the two brothers in this story and the two sisters in that story, where one is this self-righteous, you know, doing a duty type of thing, rather than just being in the presence of God and realizing how good that is, right? And so let's pray, and uh, we don't have time for breakouts, but I will see you guys Wednesday. If not Wednesday, I'll see you guys Sunday. So Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I pray that you continue to be with us as we we go through that this week and we, we make our way back to, to school. Lord, I pray that you would embolden us. Lord, that you continue to remind us of the goodness of your grace and love towards us, that you are a, a good father. And Lord, I just, I thank you. I thank you that you care about each and every one of us. Lord, that you see our, our state and our sinfulness, and yet you love us despite it. Lord, you came to save us and to cleanse us. And Lord, we thank you for the faithfulness that you display to us day in and day out. Lord, we continue to lift up our pastor and his family. Lord, I pray that you be with Pastor Kevin, Kaylin, and Lydia. Lord, that you continue to just be with them, comfort them. Lord, bring them, you know, joy. Lord, give them time away now as, as they are away. Lord, just to, to be with one another and to enjoy their time. And so we just thank you for them. I pray that you continue to pour into them through your Holy Spirit and through your word. In Jesus' name, amen.